Last year, we did this. All right, so this year, it's gonna be more creative. It's gonna be more gardening, more podcasting, more performance, and also more of the differences that make Detroit the cultural base it is. So just like last year, we started with the fundraiser. We're starting with a fundraiser this year again. I know we can get there, and we're gonna get there with your support. Remember, this is a lot of studio, the podcast performance experience right in the urban garden in the heart of a Detroit neighborhood. Please support this year for everything we're gonna give you. All right, welcome back to the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And today is a day that is unique because I'm interviewing another fellow podcaster. But along with podcaster, you know, it's a lot of labels, uh, storyteller, content creator. Really, it's just people offering perspective. Uh, and he definitely has a lot of perspective to offer. So we're thinking the urban consulate, authentically Detroit, the podcast, also Bridge Detroit as a journalist and a friend of the community, Orlando Bailey. How are you doing today? I am excellent. Happy to be sitting across from you. Okay. The great Kyrie Frazier. Oh man. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent is an adjective often not used. Yeah. So that is very interesting. And as most people know, like my handle when uh, I'll be on stage yelling at people rapping and stuff, working at excellence, because yeah. that's what we're working towards. So. Yeah, I have a good friend who says I'm alive. So today's the best day of my life. OK, I, I love that. Mm -hmm. Like just even even when he's like, you know, up against some hard things, like mm -hmm. he really believes in being able to manifest the life that you want and so every time i say yo what's up man how are you he's like best day of my life i'm gonna get there one day but for now i'm excellent <laughs> well excellent is a heck of like i say that that is rarely used but uh we're gonna use it here and yeah we're gonna keep it moving let's do it so we're gonna talk a little bit about the projects that we're working on um yeah y'all i get to just... work with Kyrie fraser y'all <laughs> Hey. It's, uh, it's definitely something. You know, it's definitely something. <laughs> it's been fun so far. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah, we got to talk about it. And we're going to look to build upon what we're working in and doing. Uh, community is one of your big calls to action. Mm -hmm. And actually, Detroit. So, Detroit community. Yes. I, I don't know how you feel about uh, communities of uh, Southern Illinois or something like that. You know, I'm assuming <laughs> that you wish the best and prosperous for people in life. But God bless y'all in Southern serve. Illinois. We see you in Gary. Hey, y'all. You know. <laughs> Come visit us. <laughs> so, um, so with that being said, that just moves us straight to the classic Detroit is different. Your mm -hmm. family in Detroit. How did your family come about coming to Detroit? Yeah, I, I think the story of my family is, you know, escaping racial terrorism and Jim Crow mm -hmm. South. Um, my maternal side of the family migrated here. Uh, in the late 1930s from Kamita, Mississippi, down in the Delta. Kamita? Uh, Kamita, Mississippi, Mississippi. Down in the Delta in the county called Sharkey County. You won't even find this place on a map, right? <laughs> uh, they came here and they ended up settling in the Jefferson Chalmers neighborhood right, at, right on Algonquin Street. And, you know, five generations later, that home is still 
in our family, uh, the home that my great grandfather and great grandmother purchased in the home that my grandmother grew up in and the home that my mother uh, grew up in. Uh, my paternal family, uh, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother was born um, in New Orleans, hmm. right? And so I had the opportunity just just last month to uh, visit New Orleans for the first time in really what was, you know, a transcendently spiritual moment, but also an immersive one where, you know, the the palpable feeling of your ancestry, the blood that is in the ground was so apparent and thick in the air, walking the streets that my great grandparents walked, going to the place where my great grandfather worked, going to the old site of the home that they brought my grandmother home to uh, was really, really, you know, uh, something. But the same story, leaving to escape uh, a racist Jim Crow South uh, riddled with, you know, terrorism toward black communities and looking for a better life. And so both sides of the family uh, ended up in Detroit. My paternal side migrated around the same time uh, in the 1930s or early 1940s. Um, and yeah, so that that's how we got here, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And my, my grandfather, my great-grandfather on my mom's side was a serial entrepreneur, mm -hmm. uh, uh, operated a juke joint out the basement after okay. I was spotted in the basement. If you okay. go in the basement on El Gakwa Street, you can still see the bar and, you know, some of, some of the stuff down there. Uh, but we were, you know, a solid, you know, working class family. Uh, a lot of us, uh, a lot of my great uncles, my great grandfather and uh, grandfather came, you know, up through like these plants, like the automotive plants, you know, Detroit for a long time was a singular industry. Mm -hmm. uh, my great grandfather owned a cleaners that was hmm. gifted to him by uh, a, a cleaners and laundromat. Let me preface that along Mac Avenue. Uh, that was Mac gifted, and what? Mac and Gray. Okay. Uh, that was gifted to him after spending time working for the white man that owned it. And he was ready to, you know, go and he gifted uh, the the laundromat cleaners. So I know he loved the Jeffersons. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on up, he was like, he was like, they made yeah. a show about you, you know how people nowadays be like that. That's me. That's, that's me. Him. Yes, that's us. <laughs> and so our story is a is a classic, you know, um, East Side story, and that's just immediate family. Don't let me get into the extended family where we began to talk about uh, our, our our roots and upbringing in the church in mm -hmm. the South and here uh, in the city of Detroit. My great-grandfather's father uh, was a preacher that people uh, came far and wide to hear in the South, mm -hmm. a traveling preacher. Um, and his nephew was Dr. William Holly, the founding pastor of New Rising Star Missionary Baptist Church, who mm -hmm. was fascinated by how his uncle could stand and preach. And we're talking like 1920s. Like in the 1920s, I found a census record because I've been on this journey of my great, great grandfather. And while the house were listed as farmers or sharecroppers, my great grandfather in the 1920s census had the audacity, great, great grandfather had the audacity to put preacher, minister. And mm -hmm. I was just like, yo. And so, you know, being able to uncover, you know, like all of these facts to, uh, really think about and hold it up against how I show up in community today has been a journey, a rewarding one, a highly emotional one, but one that everybody needs to go on. 
Know okay. the stock you come from. Know why you ended up here, man. And and, and it's so many more questions because yeah. the Mississippi line. So so first off, that that means that you're like an entrenched Detroiter, meaning like you're generations deep yeah. in this Detroit thing. Yeah. Um. A lot of people, depending upon when your family makes their way here, even if you're a person that make your way here, we're here in. in I don't want to say like out of context. Your family moved here almost as Black Bottom was forming in it, and they moved to a neighborhood like right in my mind, like right by it. Mm. And um, so being there, it's just this footprint of so many black folks. So when I think of the lines that really brought a lot of black people here through the Great Migration, and this happens in most of these Detroit's different interviews, as I've been hitting a couple more people when we go a little bit more west. So Mississippi is a rare... It's, it's some Mississippis here in the city, yeah. you know, but it's you. It's more people to the east because the yeah. the the railroad lines, yeah. you know. So when I think Mississippi, hence why blues in Chicago is so good. So yeah. if you guys don't know, like, and I love blues, you know. Um, what? Love blues. I didn't know that about you. Love blues. You know, <laughs> Thornetta, shout out Thornetta Davis. Yes, like Thornetta one of my, Davis. Um, one of my closest big homies, uh, Luther I'm a Batman fan. Keith. I don't know Thornetta, but I'm a fan. Oh, well, we may be making that introduction yeah. coming up in this announcement soon. And um, so, so that Mississippi Delta comes straight up to Chicago. So people talk about Chess Records and Muddy Waters, but it was so many others. Um, you know, the Ma Rainey play yeah. that was on television and, and some of the work that Ma Rainey did and just like the the industry that's labeled, quote unquote, the Chitlin Circuit yeah. um, of a lot of black promoters at the time. Some Jewish promoters were in that mix, too, that... Uh, that that fed this machine uh, of a lot of that blues so you had like a cut that was different coming from that mississippi up and a lot of black folks here are alabama mm-hmm. you get a lot of alabama i know some yeah. a lot of georgia yeah some florida because they're coming you and know the, the carolinas east way. i got some the carolinas, carolinas yep yep and, and, and some of them new york or, yeah. or cleveland or you know wherever the railroad line would take them but so many people wanted to come to detroit so it's unique that you speak to that and you also speak to you said a traveling preacher um i'm gonna liken this to my great grandfather my maternal so my so my mother's mother's father <laughs> my mother's mother your that grandmother's was owner dad. of this yeah. yes my grandma's dad <laughs> so he was a preacher too yeah and some of the stories i hear about him are interesting you know what i'm saying because church played a different role in community then very different like he Ooh, yeah. he would do certain things like you know sometimes it was like you're you're the literate one so he would read write letters for people yeah. uh you know help handle different like almost serve in some capacity as you think almost like as an attorney for a lot of people in the black community for dealing yes. with anything with white people a it's broker. like yeah it's like i gotta go see passer and passer <laughs> gone you know, I know this white yes, man right. is talking about I, I did this much work. I know I did that much work. This ain't right. I'm going to go talk to pastor first. And then pastor, you know, will broker, like you say, like, uh, you know, different things. Even sometimes with the Ku Klux Klan, my grandfather, and I'm sure your grandfather did some of those same. Ooh, haven't heard, the, heard those stories yet, but I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. So, yeah. so Louisiana 
Mississippi, both next to each other, completely different cultures. Yes, uh, completely different. What was, I guess, the tone of like even food and, and, and vegetables? Because that's the other thing about some of those, some of these uh, Detroit ties. Like yeah. different people are seeking, diff- like buying different things that, that they're used to, even though they're adjacent, they're yeah. a little bit different. What was, did you notice some of those differences growing up between oh, yeah. both? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, on the maternal side, we straight up soul food. Like, we go eat almost every part of mm-hmm. the pig. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? On my paternal side, my grandmother was, it is still a, a great Creole cook, man. I mean, mm-hmm. like, all of the classic uh, New Orleans dishes, uh, uh-huh. you know, that come out of Creole culture. You're, 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 you know, working with beans and working with rice and, you know, uh, seafood and, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that classic Creole cooking was on my uh, paternal side. And so not really even being, you know, hip to, you know, the different cultures at the time as I was coming up, as I began to grow up and developed uh, the curiosity that I that's really unsatiable now uh, about family and about culture and about where we come from, I'm able to see, you know, like clear, you know, a clear delineation of of culture. You know, black folk in New Orleans are, you know, a lot of them are devoutly Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. And so my paternal grandmother is very, very Catholic and, you know, pays attention to, you know, what comes out of the Roman Catholic Church. She's progressive. She don't, she don't buy and believe in, you know, some of this antiquated stuff that's coming out of the Catholic Church, but she's Catholic. And my uh, maternal side, like straight up Baptist, go hoop, go holla, go shout, go be happy. You know what I mean? And so uh, it, it was really interesting, you know, seeing, you know, seeing these two cultures, you know, sort of sort of merge and sort of be, you know, be a part of who I am. So as yeah. a child, because that is a difference yeah. in, in the way services are delivered as my grandmother here, Presbyterian, yeah. which if people know Presbyterian is kind of closer to a wing of what Catholicism would yeah. be. So from going to the Presbyterian church to a Baptist church, it was like, what was it like for you to go from a Catholic church to a Baptist church? Oh, man. And where did you start? Did <laughs> you start more in the Baptist started church? started in the Baptist church. Okay, man. so when, by the time you made your way to a Catholic church, what was the cultural like? Uh, what was that for you? I was like, what did they do it? Like, where... Where is, you know, as a young person, I'm like, yo, where is the organ? Why are they, they, you know, they do communion different. I, I'll never forget my sister, uh, my sister's baptism and they all had, you know, took communion, but they were drinking like from the same cup. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, we always have like our individual mm-hmm. cups in the Baptist church. It's like little stuff like that, because when I when I went and I experienced it for the first time, I was a young person. So, like, imagine, imagine, you know, being being a young person, barely even a teenager. Right. Being a young person mm-hmm. who was immersed in like this charismatic Baptist culture, but really deeply rooted uh, in community, deeply rooted in family and, you know, circular economy. Uh, Reverend Dr. William Hyde who was like a grandfather to me, uh, started a credit union, um, the New Rising Star uh, Credit Union, right? And Mm -hmm. so recognizing that folks in the city of Detroit have been locked out of mainstream banking. He wanted to, you know, Mm -hmm. pull that in, right? So that the church can also offer and have economic power Mm -hmm. and go over to my paternal grandmother's church, which was, you know, white led, Mm -hmm. right? It It was different, much more calm, 
uh, very, very uh, ritualistic and um, just 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 different and, you know, how they did things. But what what I had the opportunity to see through the eyes and lens of my grandmother was that it was still a place that was filled with so much love and so much community as well. Just just went about just went about it in a in a different way. Yeah. Okay, so it's unique that you speak of that yeah. uh, because for a lot of people, and it, this is definitely so, some of this is what I know from what I've seen. Some of this is what I've read. But as nowadays, you know, everything, even facts are opinions. So let's let's go into a Kari opinion of what I know <laughs> about the Catholic Church. <laughs> the Catholic Church for, in so many ways... mimic the whole concept of creating community of of how we look at things through the parish system mm -hmm. so like if, if you know google the parish system and understand like the hierarchy of what this parish system would do mm -hmm. especially when we think of like what the irish catholic church mm -hmm. meant in america of like onboarding and connecting with these police and fire unions but especially police unions like mm -hmm. it was like a, a stronghold of like damn near you know certain cities chicago new york even some of detroit like you you damn near if you were irish you mm -hmm. would become a police officer okay connecting to like this parish system this parish system set up with schools it's set up for um like art systems like like almost like a, a wing of what we would look at as philanthropy yeah um to infiltrate and how we in understand community. yeah yes. show up in community yes uh, to ask to attain power and influence yes. and community. Yeah. And, and I mean, South America, if you ever travel there, like when you look at, you know, a lot of like, as they say, like, you know, converting people and serving as a missionary and what what was offered through this church. Hence, you know, you send in, the, as they say, we send in the missionaries first, mm. then we send in the soldiers, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, and that's why, like, you'll you'll be walking through, I don't know, you know, Colombia or Dominican or Panama or many of these places, even Jamaica, Haiti, and you will see these huge steeples. Mm. And this is where, like, we get into placemaking of, like, even the premise of how we look at what a institution of a church would be. Yeah. It's different than what a mosque would be. It's so set up around, as you say, like... Um, how do I say it? Like the design of it kind of leads you to submission with these very high ceilings, mm. these paintings that the, the architecture is, is a certain way. Yeah. You know, yeah. that obviously through other, you know, through other religions like the Baptists or non-denominational things have definitely taken shape and form, but it still is mimicking what these institutions would be. And, and like you say, ritualistic is that term. Yeah. So seeing that as a child, versus the rituals of like a Baptist church, which in a lot of ways, the black Baptist church movement is so close to an understanding of something very black itself. Yeah. Like what were the rituals there that you got as a kid that you, that stuck to you? Oh man. <laughs> now how much time we got Kari. Uh, but you know, uh, call and response hymn him, hymnals, mm -hmm. right? Um, without even without music you know being able to be a recipient of the the rhythm in our voices right mm -hmm. the uh the pain in our songs man i mean 
it was and still is, you know, really, really amazing. It was amazing to be a part of, and it's amazing to think about um, how uh, folks would be able to gather um, and and sing um, and sing themselves happy and sing themselves uh, to freedom. Um, the you know the other piece that you know comes to mind is you know this this admonishment to you know always be prayerful we sang the lord's prayer like we turn the lord's prayer into a song and we sang that song every every sunday mm -hmm. <laughs> like literally every sunday um into and to uh be a person that you know conducted themselves uh, in a Christ-like manner outside of the church. So being, you know, the best ambassador for Christendom, the best ambassador for Christ outside of the four walls mm -hmm. uh, was was also pushed on us. Um, and so it was, you know, re again, a, a really loving place. I think granddad, that's what I call him because he's granddad. Granddad was um, a visionary in that he was able to see a need and meet it. He would give you the shirt off his back, all the money in his pocket, the credit union. He also started uh, the William Holly Educational Center, right? Like we aimed to be uh, the a cornerstone and touchstone for that community. It's why he never moved, right? Mm -hmm. When uh, black folks began to amass some money and some wealth, uh, some of we saw a lot of, you know, middle class black folks, you know, move out uh, to the suburbs to mm -hmm. chase, you know, their version of the American dream. He refused. He refused to leave uh, to his dying day. He stayed right there on St. Cyril and Grinnell, <laughs> right mm -hmm. on the east side where the flexing gate is, mm -hmm. because he wanted uh, to remain accessible uh to his to the community to the community that he served to the people that called him him pastor and i'm so proud of that right i'm so proud of that legacy i'm so proud of that richness because uh it instilled in me this this notion that detroit doesn't have to be a place that i desire to escape mm. i don't have to escape detroit to hold that up as a moniker for my success Right. In fact, I need and needed Detroit to be and remain a success. And so, uh, yeah, man, learned a lot. Uh, so grateful for the upbringing. I really am. So it's unique that you touch on that, um, because that's where I think our our upon meeting, that's where we connected big. Yeah. Uh, but as we know, we're we're in and around the same age and growing up i definitely i, I have orlando beat for, for anybody that's interested so orlando's <laughs> a younger dude that's what i get ready to say the same, the same age i don't know Carter, you got in, me about, you know Go we're ahead. in the same we're millennials <laughs> yes let's put it like that so yes. as millennials in detroit are and, and i'm an older millennial but still our understanding of what what community in Detroit and success were. And I like that you said chasing the American dream, almost like it was beating our head from our, our local society that Detroit is not a place of opportunity. Yeah. To the point that Ooh. so many people accepted this reality to this day, you know? Yeah. Um, mm. You know, so, so it's unique that you had that premise at a young age 
hence we were one of the very few that's like you know people with options to leave but yeah. choosing to stay but also entrenched in, in movement work you were um i was so. uh mm -hmm. entrenched in in community work uh i i know i know about miss fraser i know about your mama mm -hmm. um and how steep she was and so uh being exposed to you know a community that loved detroit mm -hmm. and wanted and still desires to see detroit in a place of thriving was everything for me yeah right and having that community you know instill so much pride in me about where i come from you know i it's so funny people really think i'm joking when i say this but i literally grew up at east side community network it was then warren Connor development coalition i walked in those doors when i was 10 11 years old as a as a, a participant in the youth on the edge of greatness program mm -hmm. and the exposure that i got uh, to all of Detroit in, in many different facets through the people working, the youth program at the time, uh, Keisha Smith and Bernard Harrington, Taiwan Waters and Maggie DeSantis. I've known Maggie DeSantis since I was 11 years old. Uh, you know, say what you say what you will about Maggie DeSantis, uh, but Maggie was Maggie believed wholeheartedly that you young people can't dream about what they've never been exposed to. Right. And so I was steeped in all I was walking City Hall mm -hmm. <laughs> at 12 years old, meeting with city council folks and, you know, having a really immersive, you know, civic lesson through this community development organization that was deeply east side. Right. That yeah. served east side. Uh, in addition to uh, the likes of Alberta Tinsley Talabi and her sharing mm -hmm. a friendship with my grandfather, Dr. William Holly at New Rising Star, um, and you know, learning and walking in the Mac Alive Parade and seeing how Granddad comported himself in community, it's like, yo, this is where I want to be. This is rich. This is dope. This is black, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, and I love it. Which which drives to the next big discussion point as. As times have changed, and this is really a, a, a shout out Frida, Frida Sampson, and then, you know, definitely Dr. Late, great Frederick G. Sampson, um, the role of the church today, because uh, it, it's, it's always been such a for for the more progressive you get, especially when you explore black history, the reality of Christianity and it imposing certain uh certain certain harm in our community due to the interpretation of certain people and then also you know you you have elephants saying like man the black community is this the black community is that my understanding through a lot of the pastors that i've been friends with is it's always been a battle because it's like you have do you serve the people inside the doors do you serve your church's membership or do you serve the community where your church is you ask a community person Obviously, they're going to say serve the community. Yeah, both and. For you me. ask a church member, that can be different. You can get some different responses. Well, the different, well, it's, you know, to add a, a layer of nuance and context to, you know, to this answer, I think that at one point of time, uh, the community was the church. And that's where and I was so, going to say things have changed <laughs> things have and shifted, shifted yeah. especially as, quote unquote, you know, segregation explicitly 
well, sometimes it's still explicit, but <laughs> for the most part, segregation explicitly is not enacted the same way it once was. Hence, when we were all centered together, it was certain times where, like I say, back back in the day when my grandfather, like police officers, uh, business people, even gangsters sometimes would be like, all right, you're going to have to talk to the preacher. Yeah. The... Uh, the uh the 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 people that own the funeral home my mind just slipped uh, uh the the mortician, uh, the, mortician <laughs> the preacher and possibly the doctor yeah to get access like almost as like and congruence they were, they were to certain black yes yeah absolutely and you know that's it's so funny that you bring that up because you know i've been i've been tussling with this for a while and it is this this idea of of segregation and integration and i I heard uh, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, uh, say some words that, you know, still to this day have me puzzled when we talk about, you know, uh, the the close-knit nature and the oneness uh, that was once, you know, the black community. And he said this, he was like, when he was organizing for SNCC, he was like, my goal was never really to, when I was you know, uh, sitting at lunch counters was never really to do, integrate our lives with the lives of white folks or for us to have what white folks had. He was like, I didn't want anybody telling me where I could and couldn't go. Yeah. He was like, that's why I did it. And so he, for him, like, he's basically saying, like, the goal was not for him integration, but freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, it, it begs the question. It's, you know, when we when we talk about this American dream, when we talk about an integrated society, like number one, who really gets to benefit uh, from that? And what what systems, what structures had we set up that were benchmarks, cornerstones in our community that have deteriorated or evolved for the better or worse since explicit segregation, you know, was outlawed? And that's just, I don't have the answer to that question. I don't know the answer to that question. And and Kwame didn't like explicitly like expound on it, but yo, I'm sitting with it. And, and it's unique you even speak to that because it's it, it's it's the it's the old adage of um, you know it's like well he's you know this this these are the most faithful people you know you know they they're the best employees they love this job and now they get a new option. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, how much do your employee really love the job? <laughs> and a lot of people found that out during COVID-19. You know what I'm saying? Because now it's like, okay, the they got a little bit of, they got a, they, they have a, uh, here we go, it's talking street terms. You know, they got their STEMI, they got some unemployment, <laughs> other, other jobs are offering more money, you know? So now it's like, how loyal was that employee? You know, what is loyalty? You know what I'm saying? Like, what was the intersection? And, and I forgot one big person in that same community was the numbers man as well. Oh, so yeah, it'd the, be numbers like the numbers man. man, the mortician, yeah. the doctor, and the we preacher. We had a numbers man who would come on the block. Murphy. I don't know if Murphy's <laughs> still alive or not, but Murphy used to, yeah, come and take the numbers, man. That's so, so crazy. <laughs> but that those were like gateways into our community when we were when the segregation was more in our face but it's back to like success in the american dream of what can exhaust and and some of these things may take decades before we know what the impact of it 
could be like the the trade-off i'm big in the the economic concept of opportunity costs and it's just it's common sense like when you choose one option you're gonna go forego some of the benefits of the other option yeah some of the benefits of segregation was it it forced our community to collectivize and engage with one another in a lot more ways. Kind of like when we look to some of the brown community where people are quote unquote labeled as illegal, which is so weird of that a is title. So but weird. But with it, the the community in certain places, especially like Texas, yeah. uh, New Mexico, like is forced to function in a way like, look, because you know, don't say we, much. We don't gotta be circular. Nothing. We yeah. gotta, you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. We gonna have to work one on one. You know what I'm saying. I see Absolutely. what the, I see what's on paper, but we gonna function in our own, in our own way. That was foregone in a lot of the quote unquote civil rights. Like even when we look back at uh, famous, I have a dream speech. Like the, the context of that, and the way that it's told. Like I, you know, it's it's told like. Little black girls and little white boys running you up the hill together. Like you know what I'm saying? So it's like, oh, so if you take, if you wait take, a wait a minute. <laughs> if you take, wait I mean, minute. the the King Cadence became the the preacher's cadence. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you know, but so like, so MLK, so, Reverend Franklin, all yeah. of that, yeah. But let me say this. <laughs> but I'm just okay. saying, like that 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 point. The way that history, the way, okay, the I way shouldn't that even say that. The, the way, the way that my marketing told. minds frame that That's speech all is I'm getting ready to framed say. Yep, you said it. from a perspective of this is what American success is. Uh, white kids, like a, like a, damn near like a commercial today. Because, like, no, it some is white a kids, commercial. some black kids it playing together. It is a commercial, together. Kari. It is a you commercial. Know. America is the greatest PR practitioner. Right. Because America and this is why I'm in the field of journalism and storytelling. America understands the power of narrative. Wow. They understand America. The system understands the power of uh, having agency to be able to proliferate on a platform, whether it's using your voice, whether it is the written word, whether it is visual. America is a master PR practitioner. And so when we talk about the tendencies that we that we have, the tendencies that we think are innate are subconsciously indoctrinated in us through the messages that we take in. I, I love and so you said that. Jason Reynolds talks mm. about it is the writing down of a thing that is crystallized and then proliferated into the world. Racism uh existed, but it wasn't until one of the fathers of racism wrote down how he wants to subjugate lower class or uh, dark skinned people that proliferated 400 years of like bondage, right? It was the writing down of said thing. And so we have, we that are media literate, we that have been exposed to a counter narrative, I think have the responsibility, have the responsibility to counter this a uh, great uh, American PR campaign. So when folks talk to me about uh, the MLK speech 
and the little black girls and little white girls, I go to the beginning of that speech where Martin Luther King was talking to America about a bad check that is written and y'all need to make good on uh, this money. No, ain't no insufficient funds. Like, give us the money. Oh, Martin Luther King was also talking about and coming against uh, the tendency toward mm -hmm. incrementalism, toward mm -hmm. change, rather than sweeping sweeping and fast change like he was talking again he was talking about that in the famous i have a dream speech nobody talks about that mm -hmm. he was talking about all of that stuff up until when mahalia jackson was like tell him about the dream martin <laughs> that's when that's when it, the bait and switch happened but nobody is talking about all of what he said i love right it. I and love so it. it again that's Pre PR practitioners, if you are skilled, if you are a skilled PR practitioner, is able to pull a message, pull a sound clip, and leverage it, right, to get the kind of coverage, to get the kind of behavior, right, the psychological change that 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 is desired, right. And so our our tendency, uh, America's tendency, to present to us a whitewashed Martin Luther King Jr. It's offensive to me. Wow. And it That's should deep. be offensive to everybody That's else. That's right? Deep. To to commodify. Mm -hmm. Go and target an MLK day. Yeah. <laughs> to commodify this man and his legacy. Are the kids getting the cut? Like, is the family taking care? All of this. You know, it's like, so for mm. me, it is, I, I believe it, a responsibility as a person of 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 platform as a person who understands uh narrative not only just to offer the counter but to educate our brothers and sisters in community to not always take what's given but to really really interrogate every single message that uh we are taking in from a billboard to a television ad to what we hear on the radio it look all right so now y'all understand why i'm like yo orlando is opening up I'm going to just announce this. He's opening up a lot of studio with an address <laughs> on funding the black community. But all of what he just said is like if I had a um, if I had a Flavor Flav uh, like voice box, it'd be like, yeah, boy, I, I agree. I concur a thousand times over just on the strength of it's propaganda. The American dream itself, as far as I'm concerned, was Always. And when I say this, I mean always propaganda where there where there are times when Americans accepted and in, in, in took on, quote unquote, a better quality of life. Yes. But just like the Maggie DeSantis quote, you don't even have a frame of reference what a better quality of life is until someone presents this to you. Hence the the relationship between I like what you use media propaganda in the american story so mm -hmm. like and, and then also when we get into like media pushing products commercialism hence you know it definitely you're gonna see a lot of stuff that's gonna make you mad as a black person but outside of the weird ass story and the narrative of the of the show mad men that ran on amc for years it's a great i, I can't even think of like the development of what advertising was but a lot of these tools in advertising and mind manipulation are going back to the roots of enslavement of our people hence that's one of those things that's seen in django where I mean, leonardo what did they use yeah, they yeah, use okay. narrative they yes. use scripture I mean, it is a for you know what i'm saying they use scripture <laughs> they use they use i mean uh, 
and this is and, and this is where it's like you know history and then people be like oh you all talking that pro-black stuff you on the hotel and i'm like this is in their books like <laughs> the american medicine doctors european western medicine was founded under the geist and the principles of may of of defining black people being inferior hence the whole concept of like when you understand slavery that's Jermaine jordan would would be like okay it's some points that he'd give more in depth about this but first it's like you could be enslaved if you're not christian and then it was so many black people in certain islands, especially like the Germanic tribes of like. So a lot of Germans had enslaved people in the Carolinas, uh, in certain places, definitely like in, in the Seminole country in, in Florida and stuff like that. It's like we're going to use religion as a way to get these people on, but we still want them to be enslaved. So what we got to do, we got to define and come up with race as the reason to enslave these people. Hence, we got to define their brains. That that whole scene Leonardo DiCaprio going mm -hmm. through in Jane. Go. That was real science. Inferior. Yep. To that was real science from Oxford, from the highest of institutions. That if you go back and look, the same way if you go back and look at most property records, it says you can't own property as a Negro, even this house itself that that we're in right now. Like wow. in Detroit's rows, wow. a lot of that still exists. Yes. So like, it's like it's written into their law as like black people have have less than brains they're more built for brute force the black woman is built to be raped and and, and pillaged the the atrocities black women went through and we talked about this last podcast during enslavement was was so barbaric it is but it was justified through the church well their interpretation of using church like i like what we're saying propaganda of the church propaganda of medicine propaganda of government those three came together and basically said it's cool to do that to them, <laughs> you know, and, and 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 this was also the premise that, you know, Hitler used like uh, everything of Nazism is taken from what America built. Hence, his romanticizing yeah. of America it, yeah. was built on. Oh, that's how you do it. Isabel Wilkerson uh, immaculately lays out. You know these caste systems mm -hmm. that we exist in, and yeah. she 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 talks about uh, the likes of Hitler uh, and the caste system that exists in India, really holding up America <laughs> as, as the premise and the blueprint. The model and the yes. blueprint. Yes. Yeah, it was the model and the blueprint. Like, so, so hence we're indoctrinated in this whole thing. And, and, and finding out things as we exhaust. Hence, that's where, like, I look at people of your grandfather mm -hmm. and people in the church at, at a time where the church was a more needed institution because it was the vehicle. You had no way around the church. You you were starting school. Yeah. You needed prayer hands laid on you. You needed a little bit of money. You needed to know somebody in that Saint, in that town paid. in St. Louis. That's right. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, all right, we know through uh through the con through the convocation that we just did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I know a brother down there. This is Pastor Bam. So Pastor Bam gonna gonna make sure that you're taken care of. I mean, we gonna get you a room. That's how it used to be, man. In in Ooh. a house. Whereas Amazing. quote unquote breaking down the walls. Yeah. Now we as black people and it's weird our 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 context as you gave to like that speech mm. we're we don't even have a context to understand when we're propagated of what the American dream is. Because that has to be taught. That has to be taught. I don't I, I, I honestly don't think um I think white folks are victims of, you know, this this propagated message too. I mm -hmm. think if you are not 
taught to, if you're not taught media literacy and to understand that narrative is a tenet of power in the United States, right? Uh, you, we are all bound uh, within our subconscious to fall victims uh, to this, right? And so uh, I don't think, I don't, so I think that uh, for those of us who who get it, we, we have to become teachers and stand on a stage and beat this drum and, and beat it loudly. It's, it's, it's the reason why British Detroit exists. Okay. Yeah. And, and with Detroit is different, it's like a platform for anyone to speak. Yeah. But this is interesting that you speak about media literacy because the same way that we didn't know the impacts of what, quote unquote, the civil rights bill would be on the black community. I don't think we as a world know what the impact of this right here when we speak of media literacy and social media will be until maybe 50 60 years from now because now it's even like like media how do you even how do you even present concepts like media literacy to young people because when i think about what this is like just the sways of like depression uh, rest in peace, Regina King's son that, that just committed suicide through like I guess who not di- getting enough died Instagram. Of died died of. of suicide. Yes. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm not as. I got yes. you. I got you. Died back. of suicide. Yeah. Connecting to social like Instagram and things like that. Like we won't know the impacts. Yeah. Of this, but how do you even learn media literacy to a young person? Like how do you even present to them to say, okay, you you're looking at it, this is 3D. You're looking at one side of this bottle. It's more size. How do you present that to young people? Well, I think it, it's it's going in, you know, as 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 an adult, as a person who wants to listen uh, to young folks instead of you know going in like, oh, I'm gonna teach you something. I think I think how you enter uh, in these conversations are of the utmost importance because young folks got grown-ups talking at them all of the time. And so when they have an audience of an older person or uh, even us as adults, we're, we're millennials, but, you know, we can kind of get with young folks. We still we still look young. You can talk their language. You know what I mean? Um, listening to them talk and then really engaging uh, in, in, in a line of questioning that aids in helping them come to a realization. Why do you want to be this? Why do you want this? Why you want to go here? Uh, wow, where did you learn that? Who who taught you? You know what I mean? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I follow this family on YouTube or I follow uh, such and such on Instagram and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And helping them understand that, all, number one, all of, the, all of what you have named are pieces of media and everything that you see is carefully curated, right? Mm-hmm. So aside from and this is what i'm always i'm asking this question to young people i'm asking this question uh to black people aside from what has been propagated to you what do you want and it's a hard question to answer i ask black folks this question when i when i interview them right and we don't always have an answer but i like asking the question 
uh, what are you dreaming about aside from what white folks told you you should have? That's deep. And what you should That's want. That's deep. Right? Yeah. Because sometimes if we if we really if we take it at surface level and we talk about what we want and what we what we're dreaming about, some of us are subconsciously dreaming about white adjacency and Very attaining much so. uh, some sort of white privilege. But if you take that out. If mm -hmm. you take that adjacency out, if you take that tendency out, what is it that you want? And I, I and I love asking the question because it, it not because it stumps people, but it gets our minds thinking a different way. But you see, know? because and that's why systemic white supremacy is such a powerful institution, because it's damn near on autopilot, even yeah. with black people, because yeah. it's been so calcified and in 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 indoctrinated upon us for generation and generation and generation it's like so i would assume when you average when you ask the average black person it's like i just want you know what i'm saying i want to make sure my family's taken care of i want to make sure that i'm good and i got something to leave behind for my kids that's what you're gonna hear but this whole concept and those are very abstract concepts and if you dig deeper you're gonna be like well you know i figure to get to this i need this much money i need this type of house i need to be in a good neighborhood which a uh, good for, for all of you guys that know like redlining is illegal now but the way they redline now is the school districts if you buy a house the one thing that any realtor can school tell you about is a school credit district score oh no they, but they have I know, many but proxies that's for one of the key yeah. ones yeah. i would say but school district if you if you guys don't know this but a good school district is a school district without black people period that's what that means and then when we unpack why why is there a disparity in in the black school district it's because the black school district will not get the resources of the white school district and then furthermore this has been such the the classic american story that black person in position of leadership will get usually i don't know somewhere between like at best maybe 70 percent of what the white person had you probably may get 25 percent so you're going to operate with less and be imposed to do more and you're going to get blamed for everything. <laughs> so now you have to think outside the go. box if you're plugging into this institution. And this is where I always talk about your model of success. Yeah. You got to have other models of success. So when you say I want to make sure my family's taken care of to me, I think we as black people, our strongest asset is social capital. It's this right here. That's I know it. you. Hence, if you have a reputation within the community, it's definitely not. The intergenerational wealth of like having a safety deposit box with with seven million dollars yeah. but you better believe when orlando has orlando jr and it's like oh you want to get into podcasting yep. car, car. we gonna take care and of then him. i'm gonna be like yeah this your son man come here right you know which that it, it's hard to even quantify the value of that and then he like hey i'm in the podcasting but i'm kind of in the video gaming and it's like i know somebody that do that hey what's up Tom? guess what it's a little homie legit. it's my man's i'm vouching for him legit. all based off your social capital legit. our community has functioned like that going back to africa yeah without a whole lot so of money long. without a whole lot of money either but we 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 survived together and, and that's where and thrived together and that's where the <laughs> african village system and I'm saying African, but even the Amazonian or, or many other uh, the, the native peoples yeah. here, like it's so abstract for white people to wonder. Hence, like what I say, like that barter system, because you'll say to yourself, if I'm the guy in the village that builds the hut, you're the guy that builds the drum. And then this is just the griot storyteller. You know, it like 
that's my capitalism that's will my make jam. you think that one person is like hut builder got to be the most hunter hunter and hut builder got to be the most valuable people in the village <laughs> no that is not Everybody, how our society it's functions it's all of us but when you put us in this society that is is um it's not that our is, usual yeah, environment that is it's, it's not our habitat that is capitalistic yes it is you know I, you know i i don't think i i don't think i say this enough um capital capitalism at its core is theft theft hmm. of life hmm. lit, like literally genocide uh theft of place um in the colonial nature of capitalism theft of culture wow that's that's unique and, and as i know that classic debate me and bob malik said because i it's like I, i'm definitely not as anti-capitalist i'm more anti-white supremacy yeah but it's in the same arc the mm -hmm. american lens of what capitalism is pushing always pushing like at any baseline scarcity so hence you know even the whole concept, which I think is often taken out of context as Americans, the whole, well, you know, Christ even said there will always be poor. That's out <laughs> of context the way it's presented to you. It's not in context as if basically there will always be poor. And I guess I'm in that always group because now you're looking at the lens of wealth being the assets of here we go. We gonna go really biblical Caesar. <laughs> They're the assets of Caesar if, if you think that the wealth is because Caesar has wealth in gold, but he lacks wealth of non-enforced social capital. Yeah. So it's like if there will always be poor, that's a trade off. Elon Musk may have more what we label on quote unquote paper money. But he lacks in other values of wealth, so he's going to be poor in other trade-offs. But if you just look at it through the lens of like, okay, I'm poor based on their lens, so I'm I'm in this deficit mindset. I'm in a I'm in I'm in a traumatic state. I'm just going through stuff. You're gonna it it, it plays such a trick on you, like you say, by cherry picking this narrative, putting it in your face. You're thinking, damn, I'm supposed to be poor. Yeah, I, I'm part of this group. Yeah. Hence, rap music, like what I tell most people, and I wish the way you broke down that King speech, I wish I had enough time in a podcast to break down some of the rap songs of today. It's like you got to listen differently. Yeah. So they're looking at these external adornments yeah. as ways to value they value their internal self because this is the black interpretation of what success in America looks like. It's I can get enough external stuff to validate who I internally am. Even though I was already internally validated, but then I see this media <laughs> and now I'm like, damn, I don't got that. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm looking at it's, I'm, it's I'm watching crazy. TV and I'm thinking like, man, I'm looking at my house and then I turn on the real world and I'm like, damn, he 20. He younger than me. How he got this fly ass <laughs> loft? Yeah. How, thing. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. got a loft. They got a jacuzzi. They got a I'm sitting up here. I'm 22 and I'm still living with my parents. <laughs> what is going on with my life? I'm a bum. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. this is constant. It's a constant thing. You can't turn on the radio. You can't turn on the television and not be uh, inundated with these kinds of messages. That is why, uh, uh, like you said, community is so important i love that you use the word social capital it's something that marlo stoudemire uh mm -hmm. used to say you know all the time mm -hmm. um 
when when we were talking when he would talk about uh, how to show up in community and how to prop up community you know leveraging the social capital to do that um, and continuing to have these conversations over and over again and i'll tell you why we got to keep having these conversations over and over again because the pr machine that is america never gets tired no it never rests no. and it never gets tired and so we have to have the mindset uh to you know strap on our seat belts and be ready to go and when i'm tired of driving and i need a rest Thank goodness Kyrie was in the backseat or in the passenger side who can like take over, right? Again, leveraging the social capital within mm -hmm. our community to uh, keep to keep to keep the conversation fresh and iterative, but to keep it going, right? Mm -hmm. um, and as many folks as we can, you know, expose this counter to, um, uh, and then be, they also become soldiers and ambassadors for you know, hey, interrogate this. Why do you want this? Why Why do you think this is what success looks like? Why do mm -hmm. you, th you know, uh, the the better, the more the merrier. That That's so deep. Like here, here's a classic gem for you all. While you all were looking at it right now, it's, it's heavy in American media. Like if you can turn on the news and see it, it's in your face. So, and that's, that's intentional. When you have an understanding of propaganda media, it's like, what you see is intentional. So what we see oftentimes is what's happening in Ukraine. Most of you Americans don't know the whole the the day that Joe Biden came out and said what Putin's doing in in to the Ukraine is horrible and it's atrocities. It's also the day that America since then, almost like I want to say three times a week, America's been bombing the hell out of Somalia. <laughs> Most of you all don't know that because that's not on our TV. If you go to Al Jazeera or some other places that may show you more of yeah. an African lens, you'll see that. But they're okay to bomb because they're, quote unquote, people that not are civilized. not supporting of, yes, they're, of democracy. They're not supporting democracy. All of the things. Yeah. But it, when you look at it, it's like, damn, why, this is happening sim same time. I mean, the more... Here go the classic one, being millennials. I mean, we we all black people said this. The difference between the way the opioid crisis is looked at and the quote unquote, the this, they epidemic. even look the crack epidemic. Those are two totally different ways of even looking at it. Yeah. The opioid crisis, crack epidemic. It, it was. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a crisis. Exactly. It, yeah. It's like that's intentional. Yeah, it's intentional because you know I think to the. Uh, the internalization of some of these narratives will have us looking at each other in a respectability politics kind of way, forcing personal responsibility upon each other when uh, there is a system that is that is baked into the very heart of our communities that cause us to show up in a certain way. Uh, it, the crack epidemic uh, was doctored and engineered by america <laughs> yeah and 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 people people don't know it people 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 really don't people think auntie like just chose to be this way like yeah uh and and don't get me wrong i'm not absolving us of you know like personal response but the way that we treat it let's let's just take it this take it from this point of view the way that we treated the opioid crisis as a sickness as a yes. disease versus the crack epidemic as a choice and and, and, and criminal and and 
and criminality. criminal behavior. Yes. Yes. Right. Come on, y'all. It, Come that on now. Was, that was intentional. Super predators. I mean, even uh, one of the greatest thirty for thirty documentaries that you'll ever watch on ESPN, and a lot of people talk about some of the other ones I don't like, was about Lynn Bias. And it was yeah. a lot of black politicians in my mind, as we know how pivots and, and things happen that were used as vehicles to push yeah. the narrative of super predator. Lynn Bias dies of this uh his his response, this star athlete, the number one draft pick in the 1986 draft, going to the Boston Celtics, like fresh off of a, a, a championship, I believe, and he is he dies of like straight just stronger uh, over, cocaine uh, overdose. overdose. Yeah. So he dies of that overdose, and then this leads to the whole "Just Say No" campaign. The "Just Say No" campaign is concurrent with building up laws. The difference in cocaine sentencing, the difference in like it became a while, whole, we're, while we're also funding yes weapons the <laughs> using the doors using it, this, yeah. this 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 substance yes to fun. come on y'all yeah come on yes like like Ronald Reagan's on one phone well I I think sometimes at that high level they're not. He, it's not explicitly he, saying yeah, yeah, do this, yeah. but he knows it's like two and two together. It's like you're in a nation that has nothing but drugs and drug money. And then and then you turn around and get on the phone and say, look, Orlando, we don't have any more resources. You're going to have to figure out how to pay for what you need. And it's like, how am I going to pay for what I need? It ain't nothing but drugs over here. You're going to have to figure, figure out <laughs> how to pay for what you need. You know what I'm saying? Which basically... You smart enough to be like, oh, oh, oh that's that's okay. This, this what I gotta do. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's 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 narratives like that, and that's that framework of media training, especially today, because there's so many messages coming at us. I mean, through Everywhere. our phone, like I Everywhere. said, we're we're we drive down ninety four the billboards. I mean, yeah. like everywhere. Yeah, we're taking in messages from everywhere. It's like, oh man, I think I want. Some Burger King today. This came out of nowhere. Why do I want Burger King? <laughs> well, Design, I heard the commercial earlier and it looked good. And, I, <laughs> and, and this, this I right? think, like I say, it goes a lot back to, I'm going to go to the Catholic Church, which followed a lot of the Moorish people that yeah. came into Europe in 7-Eleven, as they call it, but mm -hmm. even a little bit before then. Because the way that they built mosque, it, 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 it set you, like, places. You know, these greenways. People talk about landscaping, like... Even the design itself presents, usually it, it shifts a behavior and how people feel. Let me, let me put it in your lap. Let me put it in your lap. And I am convinced of this, and I have no record of proof, but I'm going to just use this as an example. Let's, let's go with the, the Superstore Target. Let's go there. <laughs> Let's go with Target, right? Yeah. Everybody has the same Target story. I go into Target and I have one thing that I need to get. And before I know it, like I have spent $200 on things that I had no intention on getting, right? I wholeheartedly believe that Target hired uh, folks who are steeped in human behavior, psychology, so. to, to, to Very really 
figure out number one what are the colors that give people you know you know uh, adrenaline rushes and dopamine in their body uh we like red and white we want it to we want it to be bright so you get you so. get this this a this, higher this, a higher tone of a fluorescent light fluorescent in the target light in the d the vitamin d one. and mm -hmm. what 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 uh what effect does uh you know transparency uh and and things that you can like see through but it's like big and it's open and it's lit have on the human brain mm -hmm. uh and we come out of target after they have strategized about how this is supposed to be uh two hundred dollars way more than what we planned on spending and i'm like yo like this this is what we're saying with this is the point that Kari is making in that how when we enter into certain spaces, how it encourages subconsciously a type of behavior. Very and much you so. put it earlier, a submissive yes. like uh behavior. It, Even it, it, Target does it. Target definitely. I mean, <laughs> you know, my my uh shout out Wash, and I love Wash because it's no better way to to learn anything about business in America than some strong conservatives. There's some staunch conservatives out there. Me and my professors, you going back and forth. It, well, boy, when, when Barack Obama got reelected during it was it was some classic Kari Frey. You think I'm interesting in this podcast? If you could have been in my classes with me, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but um, Target is one of the best when it comes to like even behavioral trends. Like every transaction in Target is tracked basically tying together so like you're wondering why this is in this aisle at the end cap at you know like low level purchasing and manufacturing like most people know in supermarkets it's like if you're a bottom shelf item it's gonna be on the bottom if it's top shelf it's gonna be on the top and you work things out like that but target went a step further and it's like we're gonna have end caps in certain places we're gonna have the floor reflect these higher tone fluorescent lights right, a certain white, way the white floor all of this is very intentional by design like it, it to the point where like yes many behavioral psychologists many focus groups a lot of marketing experts all are always manipulating mcdonald's is very heavy on that like mcdonald's for most people mcdonald's will study the traffic pattern of the intersection i want to say for 25 years before they pick a location where mcdonald's goes so that's I'm why usually it. most next to most mcdonald's will be a wendy's because wendy's is like we just go use their data and when people <laughs> are sick of that mcdonald's they'll just drive across the street yeah and so when, when we look at when we look at the built environment mm -hmm. um when we look at um the history of planning and development in cities um, and what's happening currently, you know, my admonishment, you know, to the layperson is to take stock how, of, of how do you, how you feel when you enter I like, I like that into, you said that. into these spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are also spaces that are designed to make us black folks just completely uncomfortable. Very Have you ever so. walked into a space and you just felt like it, it's, you weren't welcome? I think I think my friend who's a, a black architect here in the city, Damon Dickerson, for giving me this language. Right. And it is we it, I mean, even the design and what's in this studio, it is it's it's improvisational. It's it's stuff everywhere. It's jazz. It is it is. But it's it's comfortable and it, it feels lived in and it feels like a home versus when we go into spaces that are very rigid that are very square and sharp and white. Here we go. Uh, here's here's another cl classic yeah. one going back to the Catholic Church. Yeah. A high ceiling immediately usually submits yeah. 
whomever, especially if you have that high ceiling and then the desk like in the middle and I got to walk up to this desk yeah. and talk to somebody, usually with a badge on, yeah. which is another thing that subconsciously lose, triggers us. You lose, you know, yeah. your 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 conscious defense system when you step into spaces like that because you are now enraptured. I've walked in, I walked in, you know, uh, Catholic uh, parishes and have been amazed at how beautiful and like, so I'm walking around with my head up high like this and my defenses are gone yeah. at this time, right? Anything could happen, mm -hmm. right? If somebody says something crazy to me, I'm like completely caught off guard, yeah. right? And so, you know, we... We have to be paying attention. Yeah, you're looking at these pictures yeah. of like a man in a robe and then he's holding it. a child and then it's like, what's going on? What's going here? on? I need to know. Like, like you know, and, and, and this was intentional. Study the story of the, of the Fisher building. The Fisher building is very much so like that. Listen. The details. And, oh, my like, God. You walk it's so in there, beautiful. It's hard to. You're not going to walk. I shouldn't say you're not. But it's a, it, it implicitly senses a type of behavior even the doors as heavy as they are that you're not gonna just walk in there start cussing and and, and fighting and you know like, oh you know whereas you at a you know i mean and it's no offense to the, to to that type of setting but like you know we go to a we go to a cabaret hall <laughs> it's a whole different get down it's, it's like i'm at i'm at an elk's lodge <laughs> so it's like you it's step on my gators in the fisher building and it's like Oh, uh, you cool. Sir, all right. You step on my gators at the Elks Lodge, it's like, up, uh, got to go to the trunk. Right. Because right. it's already an implicit behavior of yeah. I can impose and my will in this place yeah. versus this other place. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's the same thing, you know, that our black parents used to tell us when we were going into, you know, our white space. Don't you embarrass me in front of these white folks. Right. It is. Mm. <laughs> that, I mean, what you're talking the, about is very, yeah. it's, the, it's, it's the same thing. And so, whereas it, you've never heard, don't you embarrass me in front of these black folks. I ain't never heard that. No, I ain't never heard that. Cause it's I like, Oh, he never heard. Like that. I can't even be embarrassed I by this black man. <sighs> I can't, he can't even embarrass me. Say it. Whereas this white man, it's like, I don't even know this white man. He's a stranger. <laughs> but it's like, if he just look at you, grab a grab a Snickers, I'm ready to kill you. <laughs> and my brother took that, my, my younger brother took that as a challenge. <laughs> it's like, did you just grab a Snickers? Dude. Like, oh, got slacked in the chest right quick. Oh, I'm going to put this Snickers back. <laughs> and they were slick with it, mama was slick with it. My younger brother, Brian, was like, okay, challenge accepted, mother. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, and, and I'm not blaming even oh, yeah, the black yeah, people that sure. are in that position. Because like we say, we're in this, we're, in, we're indoctrinated with these messages yeah. to feel a certain way. Because how would you not feel yeah. that way when everything about the, the layout was presented to you? Yeah. In that manner, which brings us to what we're talking about now. Right now, with Bridge Detroit, we're doing this community town hall series. Tell yeah, us Detroit. Tell us Detroit. Um, so by this, I believe hosted it'll be by Kari Frazier and Orlando Bailey <laughs> together. Um, what excites you about actually engaging the community? This is the first time Bridge Detroit and Detroit is different is doing something like this, where yeah. I want to get more 
entrenched in this and and this inaugural is always tough building something from the ground up is you know but you gotta building. remain encouraged and you know yeah. like you recognize you know we're fit to function our first one i think we had like five folks there five i was a great so start. happy i was yeah. so grateful for the five because bridge detroit is a news and engagement organization that started in 2020 like in the pandemic right mm -hmm. and so this is our first time going outside mm -hmm. and so what is exciting for me are a few things number one as part of this community town hall series, we've been going door to door canvassing. Mm -hmm. That is so exciting for me to, you know, get back number one outside and to meet residents where they are because a lot of people don't, right? Uh, Kyrie and I had been cussed out already. Uh, yeah, that lady was interesting. Yeah, it was we'll interesting. But you know, I've had some really, really amazing, amazing conversations, and you know, other realizations. New York Times talk about porch culture and black communities, and so walking in District Three yesterday and seeing black folks out on their porches and like, what y'all doing? What y'all got? You know, and we mm -hmm. talk. that excites me to be able, you know, to meet residents where they are and have these conversations, right? But the other thing that is excites me is you know an opportunity to you know ask rigorous questioning that is going to in my hope in, in my view awaken the intrinsic power that residents already have right their experience as Detroiters is expertise their experiences as Detroiters are powerful and what what we want to do is to provide agency and platform and a check mark to that experience so so I'm, I'm basically just gonna give you another assist on this because yeah. you know um, and Yusuf's working on something with the roundtable. Hey, Yusuf, that's my, that's my diversity, guy. equity, and inclusion. Yeah. Because inclusion, the I in that. Like, a lot of times we've been lulled to a position where we just feel like we're not included. You know, hence the classic debate. Like, do you want to reform America or do you want to revolt against America? And what's what's weird is I don't think it's a... I don't think it's an A or B. I don't I think, think it's it's it's, it's yeah, like it's not, it's not one or the other. I think it's a little bit of both. Absolutely, I'm with you. I'm so, with you so when you're offering a person like as we saw even in one, and it was very spirited discussion, a platform to be included in a conversation that is an expert but just hasn't ever felt like their voice matters. Yeah. How do you in my and, and I'm definitely espousing this, but why does it feel like? people speaking about community has a tonality as if these people feel as though their voice never mattered or that they couldn't be included. Because I, I think there are many uh, systems and institutions to point to toward culpability. I think, uh, and I'll speak for the journalism and media industry, I think we've been very transactional in how we've engaged uh, Detroiters, right, uh, in not only transactional, but extractive. Expound uh, on that. And so it is, you know, me asking uh, a resident for an interview. I have my angle. I have the story that I want to tell. I use sound bites from said interview. And, you know, it leaves the resident sometimes feeling, you know, incomplete or feeling taken advantage of because, you know, the context of which they were saying hasn't been included, right? I had a complaint uh, from a resident on the east side, uh, Bar Martin, um, who uh, gave a television interview 
uh, to one of the stations here and was really dissatisfied with how they told the story. This is how we've operated um, for a long time. And I think that British Detroit and Outlier Media and Detour and other uh, you know, publications, even Tostada Magazine, Detroit is different, uh, had, is trying to force a reckoning in how we tell stories uh, in the city of Detroit, especially from, you know, a resident perspective. I think the other, the other piece is that media has been uh, kowtowing to the chambers of power for far too long. The mayor calls a press conference, we going, right? Uh, the, the, the police chief calls a press conference, we're going. And we're quoting uh, power. We're quoting the mayor. We're quoting, uh, you know, cronies within within this system, uh, without ever offering uh, an opportunity for a resident to talk about how these initi initiatives show up on the pavements of neighborhoods. My friend Kat Stafford, who's now at the Associated Press, calls it equitable sourcing. Right. Mm. Uh, not only are we going to source residents who are also experts, but the traditional experts that we sometimes need to tell a story. If we're talking about public health, who are the epidemiologists and uh, doctors that we cite? Right. Are they black? Are they people of color? Are they women? Right. Um, who can we who can we cite uh, when we talk about, you know, the planning behavior, um, defensive planning and, you know, kinds of development. We often go to the universities. We often go to uh, the the president CEO of the local community development organization. But Kelvin Wells has been living in this community for 50 plus years and has been paying attention and also has a viewpoint. Why we ain't talking to Kelvin Wells over in Chandler Park, who's the leader of the Neighborhood Association. It is us thinking differently, number one, about expertise. Mm. It is us thinking differently about how we source stories. And the reason why residents feel like they aren't heard is because they haven't been heard. It's not it's not a feeling. It is the a truth. Reality. It is a reality. Mm -hmm. And what we aim to do is not only have these conversations, but to have them in an iterative way. And so keep in touch with us. We're going to keep in touch with you because, number one, you're going to see your viewpoint reflected in the stories that we tell. Shout out to Bryce Huffman, who wrote up the first uh, article from our uh, town hall in District 1. But we coming back and we going to keep asking again <laughs> again, I, and again. Okay, and this is unique that you said that. And, and you work with one of my homies. Uh, and she's taught me a lot of game over the years. But shout out Catherine Kelly. Catherine Kelly, managing um, editor and director at BridgeDetroit.com. I remember when uh, it was so funny when, uh, when Whole Foods opened in Midtown. Yeah. And the picture they had of the free press, it was... It was like a group of black women all like with their crying. And then a couple of them like had praise hands up and stuff like that. And then Catherine came in like, I hate this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, yeah. we're definitely glad to see a Whole Foods in the community. Like that provides other options to make a selection because I'm big on I'm a hip hop fan. So I, I want I like 89 hip hop. I want you to have an option of everything from Luke the Public Enemy, the Salt and Pepper, to MC Light, like Everybody. have at it. Yeah. But it's still back to the vehicle and the framework in which how they presented that story makes it appear as if the black community is breaking down in praise. Even right now with the Buffalo shooting, the asking of the victims' families, will you forgive him? 
you know, the Amber Geiger story. Like, like it's certain I'm things so that are just that. so out of context. Like, why are you even asking someone? Because I think we have in this to grieving moment through about media about forgiveness because that 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 is i mean th- that that's the blueprint right for blackness for for, for blackness because after know, we don't the, get to forgiveness uh, the, the the shooting at the church in charles was it charleston charleston or? yeah but you know let let it let us consider audience mm. right uh detroit is a major media market yeah. right uh we are rich in media we yeah. have two major dailies we have a business publication um, and we have what three or four uh, broadcast stations, right? Yeah. That not only serve Detroit, but mainly serve Southeast Michigan, the Southeast Michigan and the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Detroiters that we are trying to reach just ain't the Detroiters that the free press is talking to. True. And let's be let's be honest about that. And this is no shade against my colleagues at the free press. They are a regional paper a regional major paper i think at british detroit we have a unique opportunity folks at detroit is different my friends at outlier have unique opportunities because of this information gap that exists to uh be hyper local and steeped in very hyper local issues that uh, the lady over on the west side really, really care about. She wasn't coming to the meeting. She cussed us out, but we still gave her space to express herself. That's mm-hmm. all people need, right? To show up in a space to express themselves however they deem fit. We weren't trying to police her. We weren't trying to tell her, don't cuss. We, we ain't yeah. cussing. We weren't trying to force civility onto this woman. We're mm-hmm. just like, you know, thank you. Hopefully you'll mm-hmm. come. She was like, I ain't coming. Y'all part of the, you know, yeah, it's, it's, that's, yes. that's cool too. Yeah. That's cool too. But for us to provide that stage, right. And to provide, uh, the, the accountability, me being a Detroiter, me having to go home at night to a Detroit address provides a different level of accountability. I ain't going outside of the city to go home, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going back to the block. I'm going back yeah. to Detroit. I know that I have to answer and solve for when I go canvassing in District 4, because that's coming up next, the things that we say. The things that we have written, I got to provide. Uh, I have to be accountable to residents for that, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a different, it's a different, um, it's a different perspective, right? And it is one that uh, I, I take, I take very seriously, as, as a person with platform, as a person that has the ability to, to tell stories, right? That, that, that check of accountability, right? Where my name, na- I got to go home to my neighbors. Yeah. You feel me? And that is that's a very different relationship. I I am let's talk about, you know, the duality of not not only being black, being a black man, but being a Detroiter and experiencing information crises as a Detroiter, but also having to write about it and tell tell this. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the these are the dualities that that we live in. We just happen to be privileged with platform. And number two, name that privilege. Stop stop acting like we don't have it. Oh yeah, you know I, what I I'm definitely saying? Definitely think it, uh, it's heavy. I mean, yeah. last year during the during the flooding which was weird. Dur- during the flooding, 
It's a couple issues, Bridge yeah. to Trade, that's been on the cusp of. The I, flooding. We gave, we on a podcast, shout out to my co-host, Donna Givis-Davidson. Mm-hmm. But w- the, the, the storm happened that Saturday. That Monday or Tuesday, we're recording, and I, me and Donna was like, we have to give the platform away. We ha- th- this week, we got to give it over to Detroiters. Mm-hmm. And we had Tania Green on the Algonquin, uh, Myrtle Thompson from Feedem Freedom, Freedom mm-hmm. um, and some other folks on the east side come in and tell us. What it was. What it was and what was going on in the moment. And local media sourced the resonance that we used mm-hmm. it to tell their stories. Yeah. Nobody was doing it. Nobody, Bridge Detroit mm-hmm. did the same thing, right? And I think that's the unique opportunity that we have, that that accountability. We're going to keep showing up. We're going to keep asking you questions. We're going to get on your nerves because we want to make sure that your experience and your voices are centered in the stories that we're telling about Detroit. Uh, we want to make sure that we are, you know, this is a jargony term, but democratizing information. Like yeah. C- Candace Fortman talks about 2020 and the onset of the pandemic with us all being in crisis, in an information crisis. What do, what do we do? Are we supposed to wash our hands? Are we supposed to wear a mask? Where do we get tested? Am I supposed to go to the hospital or am I supposed to stay at home? Or what am I going to do about my utilities? I lost my job. You know, we, we're laid off. Rah, 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 rah. Think about the feeling we all felt in the words of Candace Fortman of having all of these questions and needing all of this information and not having it. Yeah. And not having it. It was it was very interesting. And that's where, like, to me, this is back to like some of the some of the silver lining playbook of living in the hood. I Over look, here, you, it you, was like even like two weeks later, it was it was I, I tell this story often, like I remember two Two weeks after, like, damn near everything shut down, I'm just driving to the gas station because that was, like, gas station and the grocery store was, like, the places to go. <laughs> but driving up the block, it was, like, five dudes passing the blunt. They all had their mask under their chin, and they still passing the blunt. And I'm like, <laughs> this is why Detroit is different. I love my neighborhood. <laughs> because it's, like, the, the, the functionality here hit a curve where, like, we've been stripped of so many of what would be labeled as what you would want in a community that it's like we already didn't you know possibly dying that's a reality every day not having a job that's a reality every day not being able to pay your deals that's a reality every day like almost like everything that was listed as crisis mode we during the pandemic was like over here 16 40 42 clements like this whole village area it's like Damn there, it's like, okay, that's that's pretty much, okay, that was 2019, 2018, 2017, 2020, 1980, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, and it you just wrote was. about it, and he wrote about it, and we yeah. uh, we published it. Shout out to, man. Yeah. Shout out to our brother. Uh, but he wrote about it, and he talked about this. And I think uh, this is what, you know, we were trying to help everybody see Mm -hmm. right when you when when you layer a a public health crisis on top of a community already in crisis those disparate outcomes are exacerbated and then furthermore 
a public health crisis in a community where and this is the this is the dissension this is why you know like when people say no nah, you need to trust these doctors or whatever it's like our community is it lacks so many resources how do you not blame a black person for having um precautions on dealing with any institution that's any that's that's the medical that's the educational that's the justice that's the transportation like that's the you know uh political like every institution is so under-resourced in the black community so if they come to us with anything you have to you know some you you, you, you know being health, skeptical of health, it healthy skepticism being skeptical of it is it that's commonplace but that's why it, it is commonplace, but that that is why the messenger matters. Mm -hmm. You are a messenger. Bridge Detroit is a messenger. Authentically Detroit is a messenger. Outlier is a messenger, right? And hopefully throughout the years to come, Bridge Detroit will continue to build its credibility. But for those of us that had platforms pre-pandemic that built credibility, that Detroit understands and knows that we have nothing but your best interest at heart, right? Take care of yourself, right? Yeah. Go do this, right? This this is Orlando saying this to you. And you know I love you. You know I care about you. You know I would never steer you in the wrong way. Go to the doctor, right? And take somebody with you, right? Don't mm -hmm. go alone, right? Uh, you know, get, get that checked out. I had, you know, just... And this is steeped in our culture. I had an uncle who ain't who who passed away but we were talking about we were talking about this ain't went for a physical or a checkup in decades wait i mean that's so commonplace in black it's men so commonplace like i got homies yeah. where you know and i like my doctor dr paul you know paul dr paul is white he's from dr. Plum paul health. thomas yep dr paul thomas uh I plum love, health yeah. is direct primary care yeah. uh it's like this is a commercial form like you can pay out of pocket so like some of the hurdles are like the health insurance but also some of the hurdles are the system it's back to like remember how you said like certain systems have you submit and you feel out of place the medical field is one of those institutions that as a black person, you're going to feel all out of sorts because everything about it from the paperwork to the sign up to like to the language. Yes. The language, well, the, 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 language. The, 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 how you make decisions, you know, the quote unquote, okay, let's get another expert and let's get another expert. And then even the urgency, like, you know, the, 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 the medical industry can damn near be like a realtor when it comes to making a medical decision that could impact the rest of your life. They'll be like, look, we got to do this today and you'd be like wait a minute wait, <laughs> wait a, a minute second. <laughs> i was i thought i was straight i came in here for a checkup and you said you gotta cut me open next week can i talk to somebody else well if you talk to somebody else then our records our surgeon is ready today our surgeon is ready today yeah. so you ready so like you hear those stories you don't know what's real what's not real and like what you say that vehicle and being a broker the messenger the person to be like yeah all right this is this could be happen and then also, you know, the classic, uh, shout out Dawood Muhammad, uh, our, our medical, we, we have reactionary medicine. And we have reactionary medicine. And it's also like, don't forget the word practice. People are practicing <laughs> medicine. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'll say this to sort of like put a button on, on the point mm -hmm. is that the griot is urgent especially when our communities are in constant 
in active trauma and crisis. The griot, the person who has the platform and the stage to not only keep culture and custom, right, but uh, to tell the to tell the story. Uh, the person who has access to question power in a rigorous and authentic way is urgent. It's urgent. And so there are outlets outside of 2-4 and uh, 7, mm -hmm. um, outside of God bless them, we love them, uh, the Free Press and the Detroit News or Cranes uh, that, that are about that business, that are about that business. And so hopefully uh, if we have done our jobs right uh you know down the line we we will see tangible change in the outcomes of our communities because people have access to accurate trustworthy information which leads us to like the ending um a lot of studio was a project i started last year yeah, uh, with Detroit is different. A lot of help. Uh, you know, you call it Joe, but Suzanne was big in that. I do. Hey, um, Joe. <laughs> you know, there's so many others. Uh, Gigi, uh, Joe Black, uh, Wendy, Mike Willingham, Mike Forsyth. Like a lot of people supported basically podcasting outdoors to just pick up the momentum of what we did in 2019 of the Detroit is different festival. So. You're going to open it up this year because we're going to keep building upon this. Apparently. And we're talking about funding the black community. Yeah. And I know when I presented that to you and we were we were thinking through and we me and me and Suzanne, we were brainstorming. It's like, let's open up with funding the black community. What does that mean? Because it's also the funds can be other resources other than cash. But cash is definitely going to be a key asset. Hold up. I didn't think we was going to slip. Okay. So, Slayton. All right. So, we're now going to get to the point of the end, and we're going to present a lot of studio. Your presentation for a lot of studio is funding the black community. A lot of studio is a project that began last year with the help of many people. Uh, you call her Joe, Suzanne, <laughs> uh, and Mike Willingham, Forsyth, Wendy, Piper, uh, Brittany, like hey, so many of the people gave into this as we pivoted to podcast outside with performance. Uh, and you were actually a part of the, the first one too. Uh, yeah. a, a great discussion. It was you and my homie, Howie Bell, yeah. the and hilarious Piper. Howie, yeah. uh, and Piper, uh, talking media, mm -hmm. <laughs> but now we're talking funding the black community and, and funds come in many ways. Funds aren't just, uh, you know, liquid money, but what does funding the black community in 2020, I don't want you to go too far, but when you just hear that concept, what do you think when you think funding the black community? I think dynamicism. Um, I think that, uh, I think of monetary and non-monetary ways of support, right? Monetary and kind, and kind support. I think, I think, um, collective economy and circular economy cooperative i think cooperatives i think um i think about storytelling right when we when we want to when we want and need support um and ambassadors for 
what it is that we're doing, uh, what it is that we're trying to fix, we, we got to frame it in a, mm -hmm. in a, in a super compelling way, right. For each other and for, uh, folks who can lend monetary and non-monetary value in, in, in various and in dynamic ways. I also think that, um, it is an opportunity to, um, call out or call in and solve for uh, the culpability of a, a philanthropically rich city like Detroit. We got everybody here. We got all the major foundations here with tens of millions of dollars in endowments in a major, no, the largest majority black city in America. Uh, there is a demand to be made. Mm. Right. There is a conversation to be had around how those funds, number one, the process and how those funds are being dispersed, uh, the intent versus impact conversation and uh, uh, the the power dynamic that exists because of folks with, you know, with monetary resources and those of us who are doing work who may not have that that, that same kind of resources so we talking money for sure right mm. uh because we need to uh but we're also you know going to talk about you know this social capitalism uh that you so eloquently speak of and marlo's you know talked about all the time to sort of prop up and advance uh the work that so many of us are doing and the work is dynamic and non-linear um, and, it, and, it, and it's messy and it ain't always going to produce the data sets or the outcomes that traditional <laughs> philanthropic organizations want. But so what? Right. That framework anyway. wasn't designed in, yeah. in, it was, in our culture. It wasn't designed in blackness. It yes. wasn't designed. Thank you, Damon Dickerson, for giving me this language, because we are we're not a straight line. We're no. zigzag. We're jazz. We are improvisational. Thank you, Damon Dickerson, for that. And the systems have to catch up mm -hmm. yeah so uh <laughs> so uh like as i say like one day we're gonna do a detroit is different horseshoe invitational the way they do like the golf outings yeah. and stuff <laughs> oh yeah that is such an amazing idea oh, we're gonna do that one day <laughs> yeah because it's like golf ain't our you know, thing we do like well, i know it's a lot outing. of black golfers yeah, but i know but like horseshoes is definitely slinging that iron oh is i black, love that you know that's a great idea. You I know. love that. Um, so we close out classic Detroit is different questions. Um, they'll get more, but uh, we'll get a preview of, of of that offer. I'm telling you, this but, is so weird because I'm used to being the question asker. And so this this makes me feel weird. Oh, I'm yeah. It's like, always uh, interesting. <laughs> so here go the classic. Your okay. very first car. Year, make, and model. What year you get it? 2002 Black Monte Carlo SS with the gray trim. Oh was, man, that's a heck of a first car, my man. G. My parents were spoiling me. I love oh, yeah, it. That's it that. so Where sport. did you go for first? I was time? so sexy in that book, huh? What was your first ride? My first ride to work. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. To work. You I worked at nowhere with I SS? worked at Sears. <laughs> with an SS, you wouldn't stunt on them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you, you maybe, drove that parking lot like four times. Okay, like. I had to go to work because that was the stipulation. <laughs> like when my dad, when my dad gifted me the car, um, you know, he was he was being very very strict. It was like you can only go to work. 
yeah. and you gotta come home and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so I I was obedient uh, for about a week. Yeah. And so I think my first ride out uh, may have been to. Uh, you know, getting my friends in a car, and I think we may have gone to CJ Barrymore's or something like that. Okay. You know, so, but I had my friends in the car, had mm. the sunroof open, the windows down, the music blasting. It was mm. a vibe. Exactly. It's like you drove to just drive in some go karts. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, next question. Yeah. You're the DJ, the end of the fireworks, you get to play three songs. Woodward Jefferson, what three songs are you playing? Oh, okay. I am playing uh, Mark Morrison, Return of the Mac. Okay. I am playing uh, Rocket Love by Stevie Wonder. Okay. You're going to get them up, then get them down a little uh-huh. bit. And, oh, what's my last song? What's my last song? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what my last song is. For some reason, Lose Yourself by Eminem came up, came okay. to mind. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, so you're going to inspire them. For, well, first you're going to get them rocking. Yeah. Then you're going to get them thinking. Then you're going to get them motivated. Yeah. I'm with it. Yeah. Last question. Uh, you can rename Woodward after one Detroiter. Who would it be and why? Oh, man. If I can rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would that Detroiter be? <laughs> I'm going to go hyper-local because... Uh, the man had such an outsized uh, influence on my life, but you know, also in De- in Detroit, uh, the Reverend Doctor William Holly, man, I oh, think okay. you know him showing me by modeling behavior what it's re- what it really meant to be steeped in community, what it really meant to care for community, what it really meant to be you know, a person who had gained a certain amount of privilege, education privilege, economic privilege, but feeling and leveraging that to serve his community in a really dynamic way, right? Never never feeling like, okay, I gotta forsake uh, the block because I'm quote unquote better than the block. He's like, no, I'm still, I'm still the block. Right. That's what's up. Um, and never, never losing touch. And so, uh, you know, just him being who he was, a man of integrity, a man of the people, uh, a man that was, you know, so smart. Like we gon' we gonna have houses in the hood. We gonna have the daycare center in the hood. We gonna have the credit union in the hood. And this is for us, right, man? Name it after Dr. William Holly. I'm with it. You know what I'm saying? So thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Kyrie. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. <laughs> Detroit is Different is where you get information, <laughs> artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.